innovation is really hard in a big organization and a lot of empathy is required. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. And so innovation brings risk. So there's a sort of cultural challenge before you even get started on what you're going to be working on. Welcome to the Culture Edge podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or a change maker who's frustrated with the pace of change inside your organization? This show will, I hope, offer you valuable practical advice as you navigate your career. And our guests will also help you answer the question, am I better matched to the corporate world or to the startup world? My name is Stephen Parkins, and I'm determined to help people like you and your business build a strong, healthy culture of innovation. Today, we're joined by Adam Forbes. He's a program director at Startup Bootcamp and author of the book, Corporate Escapology. After 20 years in the corporate world, specifically in the energy industry, Adam has reinvented himself as a business founder and a coach, working at the intersection of startups and corporate innovation. Well, hi there, Adam. Welcome to the Culture Edge podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. Lovely that uh, you've joined us because, as you remember, the, the point of the Culture Edge podcast is that we're comparing the corporate world and the startup world. And we're very interested in the type of people who innovate in, in both of these areas. So, well, maybe you could start by telling us a bit about what you're doing at the moment with Startup Bootcamp. Yeah, great. OK, so I have been working with Startup Bootcamp for the last year um, on a shell run program, accelerator program. So Startup Bootcamp is one of the um, biggest accelerators in the world. I think it's the biggest in Europe and uh, they run equity programs and they run corporate uh, programs. And the one that I'm involved in is um, with Shell, Startup Engine it's called. And uh, for the last year, we've been scouting startups and selecting them and then running a program with them uh, that culminates in a demo day. And the main role of the program director, which is the role I've had, is really about trying to access as many benefits as possible for those startups from Shell. So what does what kind of advantages can a company like Shell bring to uh, to a startup, particularly one that is uh, working in those domain areas in which Shell has got some real strengths, networks and uh, and opportunities to test, which is really important for a startup. Right. And, and of course, you've got a background in the corporate world at uh, Shell's big competitor, BP. <laughs> yeah, I was there for 16 years. Um, and, um, most of the time I was working in marketing roles and for the last few years I was working with startups there. So I worked with um, the venture capital arm of BP, BP Ventures and then helped set up a venture builder called Launchpad. So I spent quite a lot of time working with startups. Some of them are homegrown, some were, um, were, invest were investments for BP and saw firsthand uh, some of the tensions and opportunities when you bring corporates and startups together. Well, let's dig into that a little bit then. So if you if you look, first of all, from the perspective of a, of a corporate, I think uh, at any big company, when we speak to leaders, everyone agrees that innovation is incredibly important and everyone wants to grow, et cetera. And yet we see time and time again that it's very difficult. Uh, what What's your analysis and uh, how, how do you see that within within big companies? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really, really difficult. And it's not through a lack of willingness or trying or even investment. I, I mean, I think culturally, 
innovation is really hard in a big organization that's measured by much short-term performance, but also is really geared to managing or lim eliminating where possible any risk. And so innovation brings risk. So there's a sort of cultural challenge before you even get started on what you're going to be working on. And then you throw the cultural mismatch between corporates and startups together. You know, everybody's excited by it, but uh, those two types of organizations, they're not natural bedfellows. They they don't, um, other than in sort of PR sense, you know, they just don't work very well together. I mean, both sides love the PR the other one can bring, but but the um, the reality is really, really hard. You know, organizations certainly like BP, um, the processes, the procurement, the contracting, all of that stuff is just you know, way over the top for a startup, particularly given that startup and the relationship may last for a really short duration. You learn something that doesn't work or even if it does work and you move on. Uh, and, and, you know, that churn that is really important for a startup as they're experimenting and validating is really not how a corporate <laughs> works at all. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there is this challenge for these two organisations to, to work together. But I see... But I see such strong willingness to make it work that I think it is just about being a bit more intentional, a bit more deliberate, um, uh, the right kinds of people modifying your culture. I think it's possible. And I see glimmers of it. I saw it at BP. I, I see it now definitely with, with Shell in the programme. You, you, you mentioned just then about the, the right uh, kind of people, um, just focusing a bit on the, the types of characters and the skills that, that you see. Mm. Uh, you work so obviously with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, innovators within uh, within the big corporates uh, like, like BP and Shell, uh, and now you're working with uh, startups. Uh, do, do you see uh, essentially the same qualities in, in those people, or are there also differences in the in the corporate innovators versus the startup entrepreneurs? Oh uh, yeah, they are really different. They're really different, and you know they're rewarded differently as well. So I think that. That, that changes something. But I think also they are, you know, they're trained and conditioned in, in a corporate, corporate people, even if they're the sort of entrepreneurial types, they're conditioned still to be far more concerned about risk than, than a startup founder. I mean, the startup founder hasn't much to lose, so, you know, so it's sort of easy for them, whereas the uh, entrepreneur is still carrying quite a lot of um, personal risk, company risk, you know, um, relationships that they may need later on so you know when we were when I was at Launchpad the interesting at BP the interesting thing there was that some of those founders um, and, and even people like me we came into Launchpad but we may not plan to stay there forever mm. um, or, or even exited from that point we may still want to go back into BP so you can have all these plans like we did uh, around, you know, breaking things and like, you know, going fast and ignoring processes and whatever. But actually, you might need those relationships you damage there. You might need them later on for, you know, five years time for the later part of your career. And I think all of that does condition things, whereas the startup, it's, it's like no risk to them. So. I, I I see, it, it's interesting that you say no risk because a lot of people that, that I speak to who've, who've also been in and out of the startup community take the, the complete opposite position. So they'll say that, well, startup has uh, put their uh, livelihood on the line. They they risk their own money. Uh, they might not find employment after their venture has failed after 18 months or, or two years. 
Um, I, I agree with both sides because I've also seen the uh, the reputational risk that you take in, in the corporate world. Uh, but it's interesting there, you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you seem to be siding a little bit more with the corporate innovator in terms of the skin in the game that they carry. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, of course. I can see both sides of it too. Um, I suppose it depends on the stage you're at um, uh, and how much you're personally invested in what you're doing. So um, most of the startups I work with are fairly early stage, so they may not have taken that much risk yet um, with, you know, with the business that they're building. Um, but of course, there's still risk. I mean, the biggest problem a, a founder has, again, this is a big difference too, is the founder has is really, really short of time where the corporate has got loads of time. So That's they right. can yeah. spend time trying to de-risk everything, whereas the founder is under pressure to deliver, particularly if they've got some funding and they know they've, they've got to um, prove something. So it's all about them. It, what's the opportunity cost of this time that I am expending with a with a corporate that I could be spending with either another corporate or with something else Definitely. that's going to help me learn faster or help me prove to an investor that, that I'm worthy of more more investment? Um, so I think, again, these th th there's lots of these points that are different between um, corporates and startups and finding your way through some of that. Well, the easiest thing to do is just to walk away. It's too hard. And I see plenty of that done. I saw plenty of corporates mm -hmm. just saying it's too difficult uh, or we'll come to it next year. In other words, we'll defer it to really do not do it. Um, and equally, startups that just give up. And I understand both. Uh, I understand that that can uh, sometimes feel like the only option. But there are ways through it. I've seen ways through it. But it does require you to work maybe a bit differently and a lot of empathy is required. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned this year, sort of sitting in between these run two or two types of organizations, um, trying to get something happening that is good for both sides. You need a lot of empathy and you, you know, in the corporate world, the startup doesn't always, sorry, the startup doesn't always see what's going on, that context for the person working in a corporate setting and 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 certainly the corporate hasn't got a clue really what the um startup founder is facing all those things you say in that sort of risk of you know maybe the house on the line whatever and the, the relationships that are being damaged because they're working 100 hour weeks or whatever so so you know that i think you know both sides doesn't naturally they don't naturally um empathize and part of my role was i think running this program has been to try and help the other one see why is this so important why is the startup really annoying at the moment because they are um uh, you know knocking on the door every week saying you know can you give us an update can you give us an update and, and try and help the people in the corporate see why that why that might be um why they might be driven that way for sure and um i first came across you adam through your newsletter so the uh, the the newsletter on corporate escapology maybe tell us a bit about that and what, and what you write about and and this idea of of moving out of the corporate world so who who is this aimed at who's your target audience yeah so the target audience is people sitting in corporates that feel they've settled that know in their hearts this is no longer the right place for them and they want to do something different. And maybe um, innovation or the lack of innovation or the pace of innovation has been one of the drivers for them to decide that they want to do something differently. It certainly was for me. So you're right, the, the, this newsletter, Corporate Escapologist, is um, it's on Substack. If you're interested in 
<laughs> any listeners are interested in uh, subscribing to it. And, and, and originally it was my journey leaving corporate life and setting up my own business. So I built a product business, a customer discovery product business from my experience working with startups. And I wanted to sort of systematize and provide some method that you see in books, but isn't very easy to necessarily adopt. And so startups were my target audience at that stage. Didn't really work the business, to be honest. But the, 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 the blog was initially that journey out of corporate um, and all the ways of thinking and the and the um, and, and losing some of the benefits, of course, of being in a corporate, coming outside. You're listening to the Culture Edge podcast. If you care about innovation and you want practical lessons for your career, you're in a great place with our entrepreneurially minded guests. Subscribe and be the first to know each time we release a new episode. And then I've just evolved it over the last couple of years um, to be more of a a story of like how to leave the corporate life um, and land safely, you know, because there's such a lot of risk in giving up your job, your career, um, the, the kind of perceived uh, stability of that career and um, and you know, cash flow associated with that, for example, and the mortgages and everything like that, and all the costs that we've got when we get a bit a bit older and um, and trying to sort of manage that in a way that um, people feel prepared to leave corporate mm-hmm. life. So it's a celebration. The, the, the blog is, apart from yesterday when I did have a bit of a rant, generally it's a celebration of the amazing <laughs> things corporates can do. And that goes for working with corporates as well as working inside corporates. Corporates do are amazing places to... Um, to learn and to develop um, but there comes a point when maybe the corporate isn't the best place for you yeah and I, I, I have to say that uh, re- reading your your newsletters my my expectation was that it would be very anti-corporate and there'd be a lot of big company bashing but you're actually very respectful in the way you you talk about big companies it's more of a a change in the fit isn't it between the the people and 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 where they work not so much that big company bad small company good it's, it's really no. not that simplistic no it really isn't and there is a time when it's I mean for me it's the time when it was the best for a long time when it was the best place for me I I was learning a lot I was earning um, enough money to afford to build my life outside I had the stability of um uh, you know of, of income and like pensions and redundancy payments and all sorts of things that gave our certainty as a family as we um, as we started to sort of um, grow and um, move into you know nicer bigger houses whatever and um, but then it becomes a bit like a plateau it did for me anyway and and you know and, and the reality is there are fewer jobs available to you as you um, as you get more and more senior anyway sure. so the opportunities do diminish and dec- you know decrease over time and and so but I don't want to the book that I've written now off the back of the blog is really it is a celebration. I mean, there's a little poking of fun of some of these things because we mm-hmm. do need to laugh at some of things because because sometimes you don't realize how, how ridiculous they are until you <laughs> until you step back and say, my God, why did we all do that? Why were hundreds of people acting in this totally irrational way just because the rule book said that? Um, and, and I saw that maybe more acutely than others do because I was working in that innovation space where you know, you do have to really question some of this, these ridiculous uh, rules and, uh, you know, processes you need to follow um, because you think actually they're hampering the business grow, the core business growth, let alone, you know, getting any innovation in. So so I, I, I like a, a bit of mocking, but I am in broad, 
broadly a big fan of corporates and what they can do for people for a while. And then eventually, like all good things, maybe you need to reflect and say, is this as good for me as it could be? And are there other pathways that maybe are more suitable now? And so I just want to inspire people. There are other things they can do. So don't feel trapped ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's really, uh, really wise advice there. Yeah. So if we try and bring it all together, I mean, how how would you summarize the big challenge today as you see it with corporate innovation and, and also startup uh, innovation and, and the way open innovation is, is done uh, between these two worlds? Yeah. So the big problem is getting innovation going. You know, it's it's really practicing the innovation. So as I say, corporates have got great intentions and they have money uh, and people and data and all sorts of things that um, are required for innovation. Um, But getting things going is the really, really hard bit. And I've seen this firsthand this year through the Accelerator program I run. So really great intentions by lots of Shell mentors to try and get some of the technologies of these startups deployed within Shell or within Shell's partners. But it just is really, really, really hard. And it takes lots and lots of time. And and because we tend to also look forward, we don't always recognize how far we've come either. So it looks like it's painful. And so, but actually, there's been an awful lot of learning and coming closer together. Um, but, 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 but without any of that practicing the innovation, without any kind of like pilots and proofs of concept, um, it's really hard for the startup to um, demonstrate progress and it's really hard for the um, corporate to demonstrate progress. You need those pilots and you need, this is what I mean really around risk. You need the risk aversion to fall to a sort of uh, comfortable enough level Mm -hmm. that um, startups and and other players too, the in, in, you know, it's it's homegrown innovation has a problem with this too, that these things are, are piloted and trialed. And, you know, one of the things I saw this year that I thought was was a big eye opener for me that I've learned through Startup Bootcamp is this idea of proof of value. I'd never heard this before in corporate speak, a proof of concept a lot, a lot of the time. But that's a big move for a corporate to do a proof of concept, particularly if you're in an operational environment, you know, and got safety concerns like 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 a like an energy company. Um, but proof of value is something much, much smaller where we're just starting to open up the relationship, just starting to build trust between the two sides, just creating enough value that everybody sees some progress. And it can be something very, very small. It can just be a, a, a little bit of research together. It can it can be a, a model that um, you work on together. But I think together is a key word in this that you know it's not something done by the startup it needs to be done fairly collaboratively so both sides feel some ownership of it but also some uh, degree of input to it so that they um uh, they recognize it you know it's it's theirs okay um, so it's so a pr- proof of value you say and what what at what point do you know that you've got that value does a does a transaction need to take place or a form of investment or how would you no. get the confidence that okay we have proof of value now yeah, it's a great question. I think you do need to be specific about it, um, but it doesn't ne- it doesn't necessarily need to be contractual or um, or require any investment. In fact, I think in the early days, it probably isn't that because they're some of the things that slow it down to the point where it's easy just to say no, too too difficult. So, like one of the examples on the program this year was um, uh, one of the um, uh, uh, startups, Beeworks. The founder there worked with a shell mentor to. She's got a um, 
accessible EV charging uh, system. Mm -hmm. And she's got a prototype that is uh, a few months away. But actually, what she really needs to do is get some validation about some of the needs from uh, the customers, but also the the people operating the charge point uh, uh, site. So, so Shell arranged for her to go onto um, forecourts, a couple of forecourts around London, and just go and speak to their customers and build some data that was useful for Shell and was useful for the startup for their um, prototype development. Okay. That wasn't a contract. It wasn't easy either just to get somebody to go onto a Shell forecourt and ask um, ask customers um, information, you know, research. Um, but, but they worked through it. It took several months to thought you think it would be kind of easy. Can somebody come today and, and just mm -hmm. go and stand on a forecourt and ask people if they mind answering some survey questions? But it took several months. But it was a small bit of um, research that both sides found useful. Yeah. And it's the beginning then of a relationship that will hopefully ultimately lead into a proof of concept, which is a bigger ask. But by then, you know, the two organizations, uh, you know, they, they, they feel trust and and, and like there's something in it for both of them. It's mutual. Yeah, and I guess a big advantage is that you don't invest any time in developing a product, uh, whereas for a proof of concept, even though we know it's not a fully fledged version, there's still an, an amount of uh, development time that would go into that if it's a software product or manufacturing time if it's uh, if it's a physical product. So you 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 avoid all of that then, right, with the proof of value. Yeah, that's right. And if you've got, if it's software based, it might be a bit easier. You know, it might be a case of like, you're happy that we use some dummy data that you recognize is related to your industry in our software tool. And um, that counts as a proof of value. And you and we share the insights of that. You know, so software is a bit different. This is hardware in this case, which is a bit harder, I think, always to, to prove and very hard uh, to get a proof of concept going for, um, particularly in a live environment like this. This is so. I think it's different for different businesses. So easier for some and the, than others, maybe. But just this point of collaboration, just this, just this point of understanding what would be valuable to you, what's valuable to me, and where are the points where we can try to get things um, working. But just focusing on the smallest possible thing to begin with. It's so easy for both sides, but particularly startups to like want to test a really big scope. But, but actually try and resist that and instead focus on something as small as possible because you can get to that point eventually. Mm. You know, there's a journey, of course, there's a pathway there, but, um, but you know, it, it, you, you're, you run a much lower risk of just getting a no, which is the default. I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And do you, do you have any, any other pieces of advice for uh, uh, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that you'd like to share? I mean, I do think there's a lot about people and the types. I mean, I've seen plenty of people who aren't the right people um, in those roles. I've seen plenty of people who really don't understand startups well enough in that sort of intersection um, between them in those sorts of roles. Um, and, you know, and equally, uh, I have seen plenty of startup people come into corporates and think because they've been a startup founder that they will be able to get this innovation going and that doesn't always work too so i think you do have to think really really carefully about the kind of people you you want you need pragmatists you need people that have got good empathy uh, for you know so that they can share that empathy and encourage that empathy a culture of empathy really because unless we do that we don't uh, everything will be very transactional and, and it's much easier. So you get the yeses sometimes, but you get far more no's mm -hmm. in that kind of relationship. So the people that can 
broker, the people that can hold a mirror up to the other side and say, this is how you're coming across. This is what you're asking for. This is what I'm hearing when you um, ask that. And that's why potentially it's a problem. I think those people are really, really important there. They're sort of almost like translators between the two the two sides. And it's not as simple as like bringing a load of corporate innovation people in. This relationship with startups is quite a special one, I think. It's different from when you've got homegrown innovation. Um, and, you know, and the other part is there's a lot of mistrust in the startup community of corporates. They recognize mm. they need to work with them, but they don't trust them. And so you need people that can build trust that this is a long term commitment. You know, this program I run, it's really sort of four or five months. I think next year it'll be six months. But I was out. I said, said to you, I was out last night with the, some of the founders and reinforcing to them that we're not going away just because the program has ended. You know, we, we really want to see them get their technologies deployed in Shell or, or get make progress with Shell just because the program has ended. We're not going away. I mean, startup, it's in startup bootcamp's interest to get some successes here. It's in Shell's interest, too. Um, and so we don't want this sort of like switch off of a program and, and we all we all walk away. Um, so I think part of we need to prove that that we are really here for the long term rather than just for a program and the, it finishes and we all walk away. Um, so we need to prove up track record and that takes a bit of time. But the right people, I think, can uh, hopefully demonstrate that sincerity to that um, that mission, really, that we're here to support you, recognizing that a POC might take year 18 months two years to actually pull off with a big corporate yes that's right yeah yeah and and maybe uh just to re reference back to your newsletter and, and your book these are some of the same characters that you're talking about so may, maybe someone's exit from the corporate world could mean rather than just going to found a, a tech startup uh, from from day one they actually end up in one of these uh, interface roles where they're connecting yes. with startups so. You're absolutely right, Steve. You're absolutely right there, because I have a sort of bias, which I don't have a lot of evidence for, but I have a bias that corporate people may not be the best founders. I mean, I, I've, I've got my own experience of that, but I, but I also see some corporates people really do struggle. And it seems so attractive because it's like full autonomy after like little autonomy. So it's very attractive <laughs> as a career path. But actually, it's um, I think the value for um, uh, corporate people often comes in a bit later as the, as the startup is starting to scale, is looking for investment, is looking to bring some stability into the organization and grow, you know, acquire talent and and, and, and proceduralize a bit more. Startups, uh, corporate people are really, really great at that point. And I think they bring they bring some um, credibility and gravitas to uh, to a young uh, a founding team. That can be really helpful for for funding. Um, so 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 I think that you know there are moments when corporate people are really really valuable. But equally, as you say, because you might understand how corporates work, you can add tremendous value just at that intersection. And playing one of those sort of ecosystem roles, and that's how I got into it. I was doing mentoring really as I came out of BP. I did some mentoring, you know, free free of charge, you know, pro bono mentoring for accelerator programs and you know so you build some experience being in the middle there um, and then that opens opportunities where I think you know there are, there are opportunities for paid work uh, uh, you know you join companies like I've done or you um, you can uh, you can freelance and or be a consultant or, or whatever but I think that there are really great opportunities there for people with corporate experience who've been working yeah. innovation space to kind of really help bridge and translate and 
and do that. So like I said, show the, the mirror um, to, to each side to try and, you know, there's a bit of gluing and sticking and, and, and also just sort of everybody suspending their disbelief just long enough to just get it, just keeping it alive. <laughs> get, it, alive get it over the line. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super. Well, well thank, thanks for the advice uh, on that, Adam. Uh, we're we're going to start wrapping up in, in just a minute. I, I could carry on speaking with you for hours on this topic because I'm uh, just as passionate as you about it. Uh, maybe just before we say goodbye, do you, you want to tell us a bit more about your book and w- when can we see it uh, available and how, how could we buy it if, uh, if, if anyone out there is interested? Yeah, eventually you can buy it. So I, 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 I submitted the final manuscript this week. And, and that means it's going to be ready in seven months time. Wow. <laughs> so, OK. <laughs> so it's tremendously long lead time publishing, which I hadn't appreciated myself. But um, but the blog is available there. I also made a little course using some of the um, some of the materials from the book. Um, and, you know, and I can I, I do a bit of coaching as well for people that want to um, or are thinking about leaving and want some help to get their head in the right space for it and really properly understand what their offer could be outside of um of corporate life so, right. so is, is um, the best is the best way for people to reach you through your website directly or, or through linkedin yes yeah, so i've got the website corporate escapology.com um there's links to the blog there which is as i say on substack and um yeah linkedin instagram on both of those uh, two um making ridiculous reels on Instagram, the life of somebody else who doesn't have their own PR and <laughs> social media team. <laughs> Great. Well, well, we'll do our best uh, to help by uh, at least putting the links in the description of this podcast. So anyone Brilliant. listening can, can find all of those links here today. Super. Well, I want to say a huge thanks to uh, Adam. Uh, really great to hear your, your stories of, of both worlds and, and how you're bringing the two together. So thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Culture Edge podcast. As you heard just now, our guests are a highly diverse group of entrepreneurs and innovators, each with fantastic experience in both the corporate world and the startup world. So subscribe to the Culture Edge podcast today and join us again for more practical advice for your career and your impact in innovation.